0: Most of us have figured out that we can't do that. That's an impossibility. He hasn't completely fixed the problem, but he's at least cleaned up the area of helping those who love him to grow and to mature and to really get free from the curse. It's not a complete deliverance, but it's sufficient and substantial, and that's important for us to understand. He knows that we're still going to err. We still don't uh, have a complete um, handle on crucifying the old nature. And yet his provision is sufficient for that. And what's, as any parent would see it, when you do something for your children and then somehow they want to add to it or take away from it, it's 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 somewhat insulting you've you've gone to the extent you've thought through what the needs of the the family are the needs of the children and you've you've gone to great lengths to provide that and give it to your children and then they either ignore it or don't appreciate it or try to add to it. Nothing is more frustrating as a parent, and so if you want to pull that into the spiritual realm, could you imagine? You know, God having done everything necessary to provide right standing and create the best possible environment for us to commune with him, to walk with him, and to be all that he intended us to be while we're still living in this cursed condition. And then we turn around and just, you know, try to add to it or do something in addition to that. And this is really sort of what uh, happens to us when we live a performance-based life. When we approach God on the basis of works, it will be the most futile, frustrating thing that you can ever experience. In fact, is most people who, who don't figure out that that's not the way to do it will actually just walk away. How many people I have heard, raised in a legalistic atmosphere, raised in a legalistic church or whatever, just get to the point where I can't do this anymore. I'm not going to be hypocritical. Because that's really what you end up doing. You, you end up trying to fake it. You can't, you can only fake it so long. And if you're a person of integrity and you're living after your conscience, you just you just throw your arms up in frustration. I can't do this anymore. And of course, that was sort of the purpose of the law, right? To bring us to the end, to show us that we were helpless and we couldn't do it. And so now you've got these Jewish people who, it's been, you know, probably close to 30 years since Christ died on the cross. And there's been tremendous revival. I mean, you could, how could you miss what happened in the first few years? Pentecost and the outpouring of God's Spirit. Planting churches throughout the Roman Empire. The Gentiles, for goodness sake, coming to, to God. Whoa! I mean, and yet now there's the persecution that's happened throughout that period of time. And these people have aged, obviously. Uh, maybe they've had their properties taken. Maybe a lot of them um, lost their inheritance. Mom and dad didn't convert. They stayed in Judaism. And you're going to follow the way. You're going to leave. You're out. And now they're destitute. The people of the powers that be Begin to control the guilds. So we know that the first and second, or second and third century, there was a lot of poverty uh, in the church because uh, Christians didn't have control of the guilds. So, you know, if you didn't go along and bow to Caesar and follow the, the protocol and you weren't PC, you're out. And so, we, we have just this tremendous price that these young first century believers had to endure and they had to deal with. And so the writer here, which I believe to be Paul, in just a methodical, logical way, is just laying it down, cha- verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And this is the, sort of the climax of his logical argument here. And his final verdict, if you will, on Old Testament worship. And uh, he has said this from chapter 8 on. The Old Testament sacrifices are not completely adequate. They were, and they were never intended to be. There was an end of the law and its purpose. And secondly, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ was unique, perfect, and final. And he is driving this point home, and we're going to end with his exhortation to these Jewish people. Uh, verses 19 through 25. But as we look at the law, uh, we know that the covenant, the priesthood, and the sacrifices, and the services, that's really the summation of what's contained in the law. And he sort of touches on that here in the first few verses of chapter 10. For the law, verse 1, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually, year by year, make, the, make those who approach perfect, or complete, or mature. You know, you, just offering a sacrifice isn't going to create spiritual growth in your life. Living under the law will never produce spiritual growth in your life. It can't. It's never meant to, to do that. There's nothing wrong with the law. The law is perfect and holy. What is the issue then? The issue is our fallen nature. It's weak. We can't do it. We're not capable in our fallen state. If they could have, verse 2, they would have not ceased to have been offered. For the worshipers once purified would have no more consciousness of sins. But those sacrifices, there with those sacrifices is a reminder of the sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you've prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you had no pleasure. And then I said, Behold, I have come. In the volume of the book It is written of me, to do your will, O God. And previously saying, sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings, offerings for sin you did not desire, nor have pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, that he may establish the second. And by that we... Have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus once. For all is in italics. It's not there in the original. Once. Sufficient. So when you think about the law, as he's mentioned previously, it was a shadow. The burnt offerings, uh, the peace offerings, the sin, the trespass offering, the offerings of consecration. And so you had this, if you uh, had this sort of order, I mean, they're not necessarily like this as you go through Leviticus in this order, but there was an order, and the first thing you know, as you come in through the door, as we mentioned before, would be the brazen altar. So you, the first thing you do in the relationship with God is deal with sin uh, and the need for forgiveness. This is for, sort of elementary, reminder for you know, all of us uh, of the basic elementary things. And so we realize there's a need for atonement and... Following that, we would have the burnt offering there that's mentioned in Leviticus, which is absolute surrender. I am forgiven, I'm indebted to God, uh, and and here I am. I'm surrendering my stubborn will to your will and surrendering my will. Then the grain offering, which is... uh, the idea of loyal submission. God has expressed loyal love to me, this hesed, and now all he asks in this Old Testament covenant, just do the same. I've got loyal love towards you. I have you my be- your best interest in mind. I want you to reciprocate that. That's really what, that that is never going to change in our relationship with God. He loves us. He just wants us to love back. It's And it all starts with him, right? And that was captured there in the grain offering. And then Obviously, the peace offering, the joy and the enrichment and the satisfaction of having a relationship with God and that it's, it's all good. There's no pretense. There's no faking it. It's, I'm forgiven. I know it. I've surrendered. And there's a contentment and a peace that's beyond words. And this was really actually attainable, In the Old Testament, when those sacrifices were offered in faith, the issue, as said before, is that that's great, that's good, you're right with God. But it did not offer any power or give you any strength because you had to keep doing it over and over again. So this is a pattern that we're to adapt in our walk with Christ, right? When you come... Uh, in your devotional time in your time when you come to the word uh, it's a good thing to confess your sin deal with your conscience bible talks a lot about having a pure conscience it's so important to have a guilt-free conscience and and jesus blood does that as as we'll touch on so we deal with sins and trespasses right and then we surrender just we're just yielding to you lord we may we and in that yielding there's a Uh, And admit, you know, Lord, I really, you know, I'm yielded, but I'm not content with this. You know, there's, come let us reason together, saith the Lord. There's this whole reasoning relationship that we can have with God. And I think God, you know, it's like any other person, you engage. Like, you do I really think about this, you know. I I remember when, it's been some time ago, the church budget. And I was thinking, you know, it's just hand-to-mouth type of thing, you know. And I, you know, I, I just said to the Lord one day, I said, you know, it would be kind of nice to have just a little bit of pad. <laughs> and I just left it there. Well, the Lord's kind of give us a little pad. No, it's not a big pad. I mean, we need a big pad if we're going to buy a building, right? <laughs> but, you know, He didn't answer to me. He just shows you. So often God's answer is just, okay, boom. And then you thank him and you humble yourself once again, right? And so uh, that's, that's just the way we're to engage the Lord. So, so when it comes to reality, the shadow, which is what those things were in the altar, they were shadows and types, they're no longer relevant. They're no longer needed. And so the shadow, and like any other thing, is temporary. And so the, Lord, the law was short-termed. It covered the worshiper and it gave him, you access to have fellowship with Yahweh, but it, that was actually limited in its ability. It couldn't take us to the depths that God wanted it wants to take us, and so, so the root cause of sin, you know, what's what's in there in that sin nature, really not never could get dealt with, and. And this is what makes the New Testament and the covenant of Christ that we have with him. He gets to the root. He gets to the cause. And he can deal with it at that base level where it needs to be dealt with. And so, uh, again, just by way of reminder, the, the law could not purge the conscience. It could not bring maturity to the believer. In other words, power over the sin nature. And it was, yet it, it left you in a point of almost condemnation because you're constantly being reminded of your sins, your shortcomings. And it and if you violate the law, how are you going to feel? How do people, why do people walk away from the faith even now that are living under the law? Because they feel condemned. They're constantly being judged. I can't deal with this, right? And so he mentions here once a year what, is he, what do you think he's talking about? He's talking about Yom Kippur. The, the once a year, you know, uh, Day of Atonement, and every year they're just being reminded we're just a bunch of sinners. <laughs> well, it's, never, it's important not to forget what we, where we came from. I, you know, I sort of get that. But I mean, just constantly reminding of, of sin. That's, the Lord doesn't want sin to be the focus of our lives. And in that Old Testament, how could you not focus on that? I mean, it's costing me. I got to bring the sheep. I got to bring the oxen. I mean, this is like this whole thing of paying for my sins are just really gets me. <laughs> How annoying. <laughs> and then what would be even tougher is that when the, later on in Jesus' time, when the priesthood was ripping you off. I mean, insult to injury. I mean, this system would get, become just enough And it's kind of, you know, makes you wonder, like, how long is you going to let this carry on, right? And so, uh, it never uh, was intended to make us perfect or those people perfect before the Lord. But this future sacrifice would be. So, verses 5 through 10, sort of, uh, uh, he, he launches right into that. The Lord prepared a body. He incarnated. And he's... Reflecting on Psalm 40 here, and and I think that's important. Uh, to, to to the the writer here is pulling from the Old Testament material, so you know they didn't have the New Testament, so he's pulling from what is they shouldn't be familiar with in Psalm uh, 40 there. And so, what does God really? He just wants wholehearted obedience, and and the only person that could actually do that was the lord jesus christ he was uh, a perfectly obedient servant what what the law was intended to do in in that era and in that time was to bring as i said before brokenness and contrition over and once you had that point god is satisfied in the old testament that satisfied him when there's brokenness and contrition you know, what does the Lord require of you? Micah 6.8, let's hear it. To walk humbly with your God. Love, love, uh, love do mercy. Justly, do justly. justly and, mercy. and to walk humbly with our God. I mean, that is a, that's a good uh, distilled thought in regards to the old system. And so Deuteronomy 6.4.6. 6, uh, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These words which I command you today shall be in your heart. And again, Jesus is the only one who's done that perfectly throughout his days in the flesh. And so I think David, and, and this is where the writer's pulling from, David understood that it really wasn't about the ritual. That wasn't really the most important part. It was the fear of the Lord and this broken contrition that God was after in his relationship. David David got it. I think that's why the Lord, uh, he so gifted him with the ability to communicate his emotions, his failures. And he's a, just, he's the poster child for mercy and grace, right? I mean, we're going to give him that. I mean, how can you... Sometimes you wonder if you're really going to mess up to really see the grace of God, right? I mean, that's kind of what it looks like in his life. I mean, I'm going to bring Messiah through your line, you know, and then he really messed up. And you'd think naturally, well, we're done with you. You disqualified yourself. Well, not God. You confess and forsake, you're forgiven. Wow. Have, Have you committed adultery? Have you murdered people? Can you be forgiven for that? Yeah, you no, don't forget there's always a, there's always a stinger with sin. Nobody gets away from the consequences of sin to a hundred percent of you know he can temper the harvest, but he will there'll still be a bit of a, a reaping of what's been sown. So David's son raised himself up against him. You did this in secret, well, your wives are going to be exposed for the whole nation to see. And there was corruption with this, you know, Absalom, Adonijah, his son later on. I mean, just, you know, he suffered. He suffered. But didn't change God's calling. They're, they're, they're irrevocable. They're not, God doesn't change his mind. He doesn't revoke what he's given. But you don't want to sin to experience grace. Okay, that's the point here. <laughs> um, and of course, he's establishing the fact that what is going on here and what has happened with Christ coming and crucifying is, was written. This isn't a surprise. This should not come as a surprise to you Jewish people. This was written ahead of time, the volume of the book. And the first covenant was going to end. And the second would establish better things. So, verses 11 through 18, every high priest ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which could never take away sins, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God, and from that time waiting until his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering he has perfected forever. Those who are being sanctified, that'd be you and me, and those who believe. Verse 15, but the Holy Spirit also witnessed to us, for after he had said before, this is the covenant, Then this is Jeremiah 31, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds I will write them. And then he adds, their sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now, where there is remission of these, there's no longer an offering for sin. So you see the logic, his, his br- the brilliance of this, just laying this down and showing them from their own scriptures the inadequacy of the law and, the, and the, the, how much better a covenant that Jesus has established in offering himself um, because these offerings were perpetual and they're but they were also ineffectual and as a result they 're going to end that we can't continue this if it 's not, not complete uh, otherwise they wouldn't have to keep offering them over and over and so but Jesus, oh my goodness, think of what. One sacrifice forever, and it's sufficient. It was sufficient 2,000 years ago, and it's still sufficient today, and it will be sufficient throughout all eternity for mankind. Isn't that amazing? When he's no longer standing as the high priest going into the holy of holies once a year, He's set down at the right hand, the work when you, you sit down because the work is done. You stand if you're still working, right? And he perfects or brings to maturity and sanctifies the believer. Think of this. And this is, if you're frustrated with someone and you think, man, what's wrong with these people? <laughs> a little phrase that I picked up years ago, no doubt from the Holy Spirit was, God knows how to bring many sons and daughters to glory. They're in process. I wish they were a little bit further along but they're not so right you just because we all have areas that we wish we were further along so put yourself in that same situation so he by quoting this new covenant he's sort of bracketing all this that we've studied from chapter 8 on in this logical display of the writer and he this, this New covenant. Just like the old covenant was inaugurated by blood. You remember it says that he sprinkled the book and all the stuff in the in the sanctuary with the blood. This was inaugurated by the blood of Christ. It's in play. That means for the last two thousand years, God isn't keeping track of sin. He's not keeping track of your sin. Hey Lord, you remember that sin I did last week? What sin are you talking about? I can't remember. Now, we don't forget, right? (laughs) He does. And He can do that. He's no longer holding it against us. And that's really a hard thing because sometimes we're reminded of our, our blunders. But as far... I mean, I've heard the Holy Spirit say this to me more than once. It's under the blood. It's under. There's not one Christian, not one true believer that should live under any condemnation. Romans 6. There is no condemnation. There is no judgment for our sin. God does not judge us according to sin. There's 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 a reaping and sowing. If we're rebellious, even as believers, but God, as far as God is concerned, the sins are forgiven, and they're they're he's no longer holding it against us. And so, as a result of that, he now leads into this. I guess three different exhortations here in the last few verses for us tonight. I think we have to really take this to heart. This is what he's driving at to, to his brothers and sisters. Therefore, you know, that's the key word, right? He's transitioning. I've laid out the argument from chapter 8 onward. What we have is chapter 8. And here's what this should, this should frame up in your mind beginning in verse 9 therefore brethren having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of jesus a jewish person wouldn't think even consider the thought of being able to go into the holy place are you kidding me i mean if the high priest wasn't sincere and sufficient in his offering of sin he's a dead man anybody anything that went into that sacred space would die now what, so when he's I mean this has got to just this is just like in your face to these Jewish people having boldness what does boldness mean here complete confidence well I don't know if God wants me to do no there's none of that he hung on the cross he shed his blood you better And we better have complete confidence in the finished work of Jesus. That is an affront to God. To say that Jesus Christ's blood is not sufficient to cover my sins because my sins are so bad. You know, the devil lies to people about this. My mother had an experience with the Lord when she was younger. And she lived a very rough life because she was rebellious. And it wasn't until the end of her time, and, you know, of course, you know, her youngest son gets radically saved, and, you know, it's just, just don't take this Jesus stuff too far, right? (laughs) Well, I went too far. I actually became a pastor, right? (laughs) And so she was, in the last year of her life, at the time, we didn't know that, it was about three months before she did pass, and she kind of knew, being a nurse, that things were breaking down. And she could, her whole argument with me, and it wasn't really an argument, it was just her whole resistance, was, I've done so many things wrong, I just, I just can't see how God could forgive me. And, you know, when, you, when you've sinned for 70 years, I get it. I mean sometimes because sin makes such a deep destructive impression upon us it's hard to believe that in some accept the fact that it can be taken away and and what really is amazing to us and for those of us who have walked with the Lord he takes he does take it away if you ask him just please remove that just re, just wash my mind just take those thoughts away i don't want to think them again take away the shame lord and all that well finally after all those prayers and all the Sharing, she, she, she prayed. And she asked the Lord in. and she, Fortunately, the Lord in the last couple of years of her life had a, a strong Christian woman about her age that loved the Lord and took a liking to her and just helped her through uh, some of these misunderstandings. So it's an important thing to understand that we have confidence to come to the very throne room and that's what happens when we pray, when we covenant with Christ and we come close to the Lord. It's as though we're in the holy place, heavenly speaking, spiritually speaking, we're there. And it's, and he says there in verse 20, by the new and living way. So, so this is again convincing his readers. This is new, but it's alive. It's not the dead corpses of the animals anymore this is the new and living way through the power of the holy spirit and having high priest over us verse 21 let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he has prom who promised is faithful let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day approaching. So the first exhortation, because of this new and living way, and this co- great confidence we have is, yeah, let's take advantage of it. Draw near. Draw near. What? So you have to answer your question. The question in your own mind, in your own heart, why do I not want to draw near? Well, first of all, that's a natural reaction of the flesh. <laughs> <laughs> but not the spirit. We draw near one with a true heart. And that means you're sincere. And you're doing it in truth. In full assurance. So, again, just having confidence that what Jesus, no matter what... Having known the truth and still blow it, it makes it difficult for us, but it doesn't change the sufficiency of the, of the sacrifice. My sin does never w- destroy God's ability to forgive. He, it doesn't matter. Sin is sin. The blood covers it all. Think of, yes, all the high crimes. Think of, think of the possible worst sin that a human being can commit. And let's just say that they've done it a multitude of times. The blood of Christ is still sufficient to cover that sin. It just, the only reason it can't is because it's not applied. And that's the key. We must apply the blood and ask for that forgiveness. So, we draw near with a true heart. We draw near with full assurance. Total confidence. Why? Because we've been sprinkled. Just as Moses sprinkled in a spiritual sense, the Lord sprinkled you and me. You're, you're covered. Now the Catholic Church does a lot of sprinkling. And that's good symbolism. And I don't have any problem with that. Sprinkle away. I'm glad it's water instead of blood. But... Mm-hmm. It's the point, the whole idea is that we're covered. We've been washed with pure water. What does Jesus say to his disciples there at the Last Supper? Now you are clean through the word that I've spoken to you. There is nothing else you can do to cleanse yourself, spiritually speaking, but through the blood of Christ and the washing of the water of his word. You can take you can read all the psychological books you want. It's not going to fix your guilt. The only thing that can re- wash your mind and cleanse you and make you new and regenerate your mind and your spirit is the word of God. It has a tremendously powerful cleansing effect in our lives. Number 2, having done that, let us hold fast. You know, we say to people that are Shaky or not very confident, get a grip. Come on, man, get a grip of your get a hold of yourself. You know, well, we don't want you to get a hold of yourself, we just want you to hold on to what God has said. Let us hold on to the hope, and which means it's what you're worried about isn't quite there. But He's saying, by faith, you hope for what is there, you know, it's there, but you've got to wait for it to become a reality. Let us hold on and fast to that. The Bible talks about this throughout the, the epistle. Confidence in verse, chapter 3, verse 6. Commitment in chapter 3, verse 14. Confession in verse, chapter 4, verse 14. See, we do this without wavering. Well, let's not be like the world. This is yes and amen. All right? That's the way the kingdom works. There are absolutes and we stick to those. What's he mean we don't waver? It's just simply maintain confidence. I'm not going to be shaken by this. The lies of the enemy. Well, you know, you've crossed the line here and you've sinned away the day of grace. That's a lie. See, that's what my mom thought. I've sinned too much. That's, no, that's not true why because God is faithful he promised. He's not going to change his, he's not going to make any exceptions for anyone. So everybody comes under the blood and it works for everybody and we're all required to have confidence in that. And then number 3 let us consider. So what are we doing here? It's the drawing near, we're holding fast and we're considering day to day our lives with each other. Stir up love well, I don't really need to come to church. Yeah, you can stay home, watch online, do all your Bible study, all by your little self. Who's going to be there to provoke you to love? Who's there to love besides yourself, right? You're all by yourself. You know, it's a really, it's really, you know, technology has become a two-edged sword in that sense. You know, it can kind of, you know, it can it's led to so much isolis isolation. It's not healthy. The last thing you want is to be in a room by yourself with with a device, right, for a long period of time. I mean, not a healthy activity. So you you need, if you're going to consider one another, it means you're going to have to be around one another. Should have implied there, right? Stir up love. Stir up good works. I mean, going to the pastor's conference for me, you know, it's was like, oh, wow, man. It really, it, it's, there's a built-in unspoken exhortation. I need to step it up, man, in this area, in this area. It's really good. Going to church, like, ooh, why is that guy always so happy? Why is that person always smiling? What's that girl been, is she, you know, whoa, you know. It, it's, a, it's a silent provocation. I want that joy in my life. I want to be happy, too. What are they doing? That I'm, why am I not happy? You know, that's a provocation. It's kind of unspoken, but it's a good one. Not, a you know, avoid forsaking fellowship. Well, I've got good reasons for not going. You know, people don't really know what's going on in my life. No, I probably don't because you're not around enough. You're not sharing your life. You're just, you're turned inward and you're selfish. That's being, that's being That's really blunt, isn't it? Sometimes I think, I do think... And I've said this before. I do believe in being candid with the Lord. I, I don't think you should beat around the bush about what you're thinking, your your disappointments, your praises, your what you're happy about, what you're sad about, what your concerns are. You might want to call them worries. You can tell God that. He's, he's can, he pretty much can handle anything we can bring to Him, right? I think that's so important to just be right out there with it. And... um Fellowship has a way of helping us um, stay balanced, you know, because sometimes we do overstep uh, in our speech to one another. Sometimes we we might be, you know, like <laughs> I ran into this guy; I hadn't seen him for almost twenty years. Anybody from the Northeast? <laughs> one of the one of the things they like: <laughs> "Why well, bust your chops?" <laughs> so the first time I heard them, like. Wait. What do you mean? You're gonna smack me in the mouth? Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, verbally speaking, you know, just if you step, you step over the line. I'm gonna tell you, right? And they have no problem doing that. Is that is that like true? <laughs> <laughs> <Very much so. laughs> I think. You know, be, you can you can overstep, you know, uh, but if you're you know it, when the person. No, we kind of think our spouse oversteps, right? (laughs) But you know they're going to tell you because it's a familiarity, right? And it's okay, you know. Like we get over it, and we begin to understand. Like, okay, I, I, okay, I get it. Uh, I'm not going to do that anymore. Or I apologize. That was a little harsh. And, and and so that, but that's how love is worked out. That's how relationships work. Think about what's going on in our church and in this country. We're in a war. I've said that many times. We're in a war. It's not like what's going on in Ukraine per se. It's a psychological war. We're being traumatized by all the things that we've been been thrown at us the last couple of years. It's traumatic. It's challenging. And yet, through the sorrow and the pain and the loss that we've gone through as a church and and some of us as individuals, this war, just like the band of brothers, there's a bond. So God is using this to bond our lives. And if you think you... It's kind of like the guys who don't handle grieving well. Um, I remember going through that. Course, um, grief, share. grief share, and a lot of good principles. And <laughs> you know, my grandfather at the time had been gone for 40 years, but in going through that, it unearthed some stuff in my heart. Like, whoa, I did not know that I had like pushed that down, and I, and I've used this before. Paul Tripp said in that video, "It's like if you suppress your feelings." and your grief and you know play tough guy and suppress suppress and bury those just be forewarned that there will be a resurrection of those feelings at some point in time and when that resurrection takes place you will not be in control and so we've see this play out in guys mostly because we don't cry we're tough you know and we suppress but we see guys who do that months, weeks, sometimes maybe even years, they go off the rails and do something just so, totally out of character. And we're like, whoa, where did that come from? Well, he just had a resurrection that he, because he wasn't willing to face it or really work through it. The grief, the sorrow, the pain, or whatever. And so this is... Um, these are the things that are important that happen in an assembly of true believers. We are bound let's illustrate it another way. I hadn't seen this particular guy for almost 20 years, as I said. We just picked up right where we left off. How often do you do that with people that you haven't seen them for years and all of a sudden you're just there and you're talking again? My brother-in-law, one of my brother-in-laws, we're very close friends. We're each other's best men over the years. Known each other for, for over 40 years. And we don't talk (laughs) caught yeah exposed (laughs) i'm not mad no (laughs) i can deal with that (laughs) but we just pick up right where we live hey what's going on man and see if you don't have that in your relationship with the church members just pray about working on that this is what needs to happen in our church. Just what's about we? We really are a family. You might as well get used to it, because we're going to be living together in heaven. So is this a just like boot camp? Get used to it. Get used to the protocol. Get used to being real. Mm-hmm. Amen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some. Is we need to just pray for that tonight, because I think we're headed for the next couple of years. I think it's going to be a really rough ride for people in our country. I'm not trying to be doomsday about things, but I mean, you just look at the writing that's on the wall and we got the inmates running the asylum. It's kind of scary. But I know God's in control. And I know He knows how to separate the righteous from the wicked when He measures out judgment, because that's what this is. He's put these kind of people in charge because of the wickedness that we've allowed to creep into our culture and we've left it unchecked and we've been in, the good men have been intimidated mm-hmm. to stand and to lead and to follow because of it's too high a price to pay well now we're going to pay a price that we wish we wouldn't have to pay but it's coming and there's no stopping it and hopefully we'll come to our senses and we'll repent and there'll be a, there will be a great awakening think about this for a moment in the Welsh revivals um we think, oh, this went on for years, you know, and everybody was getting saved, you know, month after month, week after. You don't realize that the the intensity of that revival lasted just under a year. But during that time, one hundred thousand people were saved. So when God visits, it it doesn't have to be a long elongated revival. It will, but it will be intense. And and I think those of us who have taken the time to go down deep in our walk with the Lord, we're going to be the instruments that He uses to help the poor and the needy because, it, like I said, it, it could get really ugly. And there's going to need to be some maturity in the church to handle what is coming. God help us. So let's pray. Let's pray for that whole... Verse 25. So much the more as you see the day... The day of the Lord's coming. Jesus is coming soon. I don't know about you, but I'm, I want to be waiting for him. I want to be ready for him. Father, thank you for the writer's exhortation here. Not only to those people, but it speaks to us. Thank you for speaking to us and reminding us, Lord, that we can, we can draw near, Lord. You actually want us to with complete confidence, and ask whatever we will. And you'll grant all the things that you put in our hearts that is your will. You'll grant every one of those requests in your timing as we wait upon you. And so, Lord, as we pray tonight, Lord, show us how to pray for one another. Pray for our fellowship here, Lord. And pray for your blessings and your protection. In Jesus' name, amen.